Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming a Choir Ninja. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, and I'm delighted to have with me today Terry Price, a church musician who is going to be sharing with us today. I know there's a lot of of crossover between those who work in the school uh, choral education world and the church choral world, so I'm delighted to have Terry. Uh, Just a little bit about him. Um, He has served at some of the largest mainline churches in the U.S., uh, he has uh, experienced considerable growth uh, when he has led these different churches uh, and instilled musical excellence among those singers. Uh, he's directed Christmas Eve celebrations in Bethlehem and has conducted at major church festivals at the Vatican and across the UK and Europe. He's worked very closely with conductors like John Rutter, Sir David Wilcox, Bob Chilcott, Paul Lettington Wright, Mac Wilberg, and Ryan Murphy. <gasps> Need to take a breath after that one. He served as conductor of the Dallas Symphony Chorus um, as an interim for two years, and uh, he was awarded the Texas Choir Master Award by the Texas Choral Directors Association and was the first church musician to be honored in that capacity. Uh, he has been involved in four recruiting, recording projects that were nominated for Grammys. So, uh, Terry, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and share with all the uh, ninjas today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ryan. And uh, gosh, after that uh, introduction, I think I better sound intelligent. <laughs> well, listen, we always got to establish some street cred, you know, with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's great to be with you. Well, I'm I'm glad that you're here. Um, now, Terry, this is a this is a different kind of interview for for me because you know we don't really focus on on church musicians very often, but um, we have probably a lot in our listening audience, and I know you're part of our listening audience as well. Now, let's flip it for a second. Are have you had a background in uh, school education in choral music as well? Yes, actually, I did. I taught high school choir for six years, just just out of uh, college, uh, and all that time I did uh, church choir on the side. And during those last couple of years of teaching, I really was feeling a, a, a call to uh, serve God through the church. And uh, at first, thought I would might be a pastor, but thank goodness I got over that, and um, uh, and felt that I should try to get into church music. And I have done that since the late 70s, I guess, up until just two years ago when I retired and uh, uh, have loved every day uh, of my career. I mean, it's just, I've been so blessed. Uh, I had great experience in teaching school, uh, but my real love is is church music. And uh, so that's where I did my focus most of the years. So this is interesting to me because because you just said I loved every day of my career. Now you're talking to somebody um, who was involved with 
multiple church choirs um, from age 17 as a director and when I was a senior in high school, because God knows why they gave me a job, but I got a job when I was 17. <laughs> and, you know, up until maybe 25 years old, 26 years old. And I had a really difficult time um, as a church choir director. Um, I think maybe it has to do with just being on the other end, you know, sort of, I noticed that my spirituality like came back, like after I stopped <laughs> as, a, as a church choir director. And I, and I, and I, and I want to also parallel this with, I know a lot of people that are really not in touch with their faith uh, that do church gigs because it's another means of income. And I, and I, I noticed that when you were speaking just now, you, you said, you know, I, I really felt called, you know, to serve God. And, and, you know, I don't want to make this an overtly, you know, spiritual podcast episode, but I really feel as though there's a correlation between your choice to, to serve God through music and your ministry uh, and your level of contentment and happiness with your career. And I feel like maybe I didn't have that because I had lost touch with God during, during my early twenties. Um, I, I wonder if there's a correlation there. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I know uh, church musicians, uh, some who are, you know, really dedicated to their faith. And, and by the way, when I talk about church choirs, my hope is that I use it generically, but it, it would translate to choirs of other faith groups as well. But, sure. you know, my experiences as a Christian, so, I, I kind of use the term church choirs. Well, you're but welcome I, to use the term church choirs, and if and and we'll just understand that you you mean all sorts of things. Okay, uh, but you know, I've known some directors who were very dedicated to their faith, and it it, it was really important in their lives. And I've known some that you know had a kind of cursory understanding of what faith was all about, but that didn't mean they couldn't be effective church musicians, and you know they. Uh, certainly had musical skills to uh, to make the music inspiring for the services. So, you know, I think it kind of depends on the individual. Uh, I guess the, one of the things that I think is interesting, and this could apply to school choirs, I guess, as well, but the, one of the things I love about church choirs is that it's made up primarily of amateur singers. And you, know, you think about the root word for the word amateur comes from uh, the, the meaning uh, to love. And so, you know, most church choir members are there because they love what they're doing. They want to be there. They don't have to be there. And uh, to me, that's a, a reminder that every singer in the choir wants to be a better singer and they want the choir to be a better choir. So a big part of my job is always to try to find creative ways to help them be better. Uh, and uh, so it really has, uh, I think the fact that they want to be there uh, brings a lot of joy to the director, or at least has that potential. Uh, you know, there are always a few singers that bring less joy than others. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I think that's been, been really special to me. And, you know, and thinking about it, another thing about church music for me is that it really is a functional art. Uh, in other words, church music has a purpose. Uh, it's not just music for music's sake, but it's music that has has a purpose. It 
supposed to contribute to the worship of God. It contributes to the education and inspiration of both the musicians and the and the congregation that, that would be listening to the music. So it really has a, a purpose. And uh, uh, and the, the other the other thing is where do we in our busy schedules today? When do we stop and take time to get together with people we care about and we read and study and, and sing sacred poetry and scripture? I mean, that's a pretty special thing in this time where people are on the run 24 hours a day. And, and here as a church choir, we have the chance to really add beauty to people's lives and enhance their faith at the same time. So, you know, it's a, that's a special thing for me. Yeah, and this is perhaps the only time of the week they get to slow down, potentially. Exactly, exactly. So, so you know, what are the main differences in, in working with, um, with a church choir or a volunteer choir? Um, and how, like, how, do you, how do you approach that? What, what's the mindset you have to go into to be successful when approaching a volunteer choir? Because, I mean, I guess we're talking about adults, right? Which, yeah. you know, most of our listeners deal with kids more often than they deal with adults. And I always uh-huh. say adults are worse, right? Adults are hard. <laughs> I mean, they're really hard because, you know, you can't you can't look at them, you know, kind of funny and they're going to get scared and, and do what you want them to do. They're, they're, they're over that. They're not going to take that. And if you treat adults like you treat, you know, your middle school students, your high school students, you're not going to get very far. Um, so what kind of mindset do we have to be in when approaching a volunteer church choir? Yeah. Well, you know, there, there are some things that I think it are important to be aware of because we've got some challenges before we ever sing a note. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, church choirs perform the most often with the least amount of rehearsal time. Uh, most church choirs have one rehearsal to prepare for a service that same week. And if you compare that to school and university choirs, you know, they'll often have multiple rehearsals a week, sometimes every day. And then they're preparing for a concert that's weeks or months away. So church choirs have to be, uh, be on the go and prepared. Um, every rehearsal is, has to be, uh, the last rehearsal, um, so that's a challenge. Church choirs, uh, I think we have a need for skilled musicians in order to really do what we're about the best we can be. But we usually have a large percentage of singers with little or no real serious musical training. Uh, you know, people don't know how to sing all these different styles of music that, that we really ought to be introducing to them. Um, and, and there's a Sunday every week. So we have, we have in church, we have the longest time frame of accountability. I mean, there's, you never get a week off. There's always a Sunday. And so we have services every week. And, and then we have some special Holy Day services that we have to prepare for. So uh, church choirs, a lot, a lot of church choirs will take a break during part of the summer, but a lot of them sing year round. So there's this big sense of accountability um, and oh well, and here's kind of a, a, another kicker: uh, when we have our biggest sense of accountability, is at times that create stress. Uh, in the Christian church, 
for instance, you know, those times tend to be Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. Those are the times when the attendance in the services is at the highest level of the year. And when is it that our best soprano is going to go visit her uh, family? It's at Christmas and Easter. So at the times when we need our singers there the most, often that's when the, the choirs are not at their strongest. So, and, and this sounds like these are, I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining, but we need to be aware that we have those challenges. Sure. And if, if we know those up front, we can try to, to build on, on opportunities to, to make things work uh, in spite of some of the circumstances. Well, it's good to know that I wasn't the only person that was losing key people uh, over the holidays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you no. know, it's a, and, and that was always something, you know, that I thought about is that, you know, this is, as somebody who's an entrepreneur, first and foremost, I look at, at Christmas and Easter as the best marketing opportunity for the church. Absolutely. And so, I mean, can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe your experience with with looking at the, at the church choir as one of the key marketing pieces of a church? I mean, do you believe that's the case? Or, or um, you know, I, I know that business and church, you know, sometimes rub people the wrong way if you try to mix those two things. But, I mean, a church is a nonprofit. A church is a business. I mean, nonprofit is a business status. So I look at church as, as I mean, they're, tr- they're generating revenue, right? They're passing the plate. So maybe, I don't know if that's a controversial view for me, for me to look at church as, as a business. I mean, I'm a, fa- I'm a person of faith, so I feel like I maybe should be allowed to talk about that. But sure. um, w- what do you think about, about that, that outlook on, on church? Well, well I th- and I think what you just said is perfectly reasonable and, and uh, rational because it's, it's the way it is. Uh, uh, you know, Churches don't often like to talk about themselves as a business, but we're about the business of of serving people uh, and reaching out to people uh, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and we can we're better at doing that the more people we have surrounding us and 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 trying to be a part of what the church is doing. Sure. So the better the better the pastor is the more people are going to be in the congregation. The more people there are, the stronger the, the church is going to be. And that can be said about the music program as well. Um, if you've got a great music program, that can bring people into the life of the church. And, uh, you know, and I agree with your thoughts on, on the kind of business outlook on it. But, uh, but from, a, from a church point of view as well, it brings in strength if we're – presenting a good product, I mm-hmm. guess, as, sure. as you would be saying. Uh, so the better, the better the music, um, the, the more people we're likely to affect their lives in a positive way. Sure. Well, now, okay, let's talk about the better the music then, right? So I know that I had a tendency to over-program when I first started directing church choirs because I was like, oh, finally, adults, people that yeah. can maybe sing what I want them to sing. And, uh, you know, and I, I went through that phase in my life where, you know, we need to be doing the most high quality church music, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I have one tenor, you know, <laughs> I, have, <Yeah. laughs> I have a choir of, I got to have a choir of nine, you know, yeah. 
got I got Wendy yeah. I got Wendy Warbles up up in the soprano you know my soprano <laughs> one who should be an alto and that's right. right and I'm like you know what guys Duraflay Requiem let's pull this up right you know uh, so so I look at that and I go man did I really I overprogrammed and I I I wanted to bring the richest quality choral music blah 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 sounds like you know the ACDA marketing plan and and I feel like I always did did that stuff poorly. So I know most of us aren't aren't able to have jobs like you had, you know, big main mainline denomination churches and things like that. There's going to be people out there with eight choirs, Wendy War, you know, eight people in their choir, Wendy Warbles in the soprano section, and one tenor. Yeah. Um, you know, what advice do you have for those people when it comes to choosing? you know, music of quality. Yeah. Well, I I will tell you, my first full-time church job, uh, we started off with the Dirty Dozen. Uh, (laughs) But but they were faithful, and they loved singing. And uh, uh, the thing I have kind of come to discover, and it took me a long time to really nail this, but if you want uh, quality singers, you need to do quality music. And um, you, uh, uh, I once when I would program solid choral literature, the singers were happy, and that made it easier for them to want to invite other people to come join us or to come be with us. So explain and, solid choral literature for a second. Sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to just oh, figure out okay. what that means. Well, you know. Uh, a lot of people would say, oh, you mean classical music. And yes, I do mean that in some regards because I think it's important to do the traditional choral literature, Mendelssohn and uh, Mozart and Bach. And uh, I, th- I think it's wonderful to do solid stuff like that. But there's a lot of good contemporary music uh, that that we should program. Um, and that's, you know, everything from Bob Chilcott and John Rutter uh, – you know, Mac Wilberg, I think they all offer some great new stuff. Uh, I have found variety is is our friend. Uh, and not just from the choir standpoint, but from the congregation's point of view. If somebody really doesn't like Bach, and uh, and there are we know there are those people out there, uh, if if we do a spiritual, and I didn't do I didn't do spirituals too often. But occasionally we did, and people would go crazy. And I think by doing a variety of styles in church, uh, we were more likely to touch more people at some point. Uh, so uh, I just I tried to look for uh, music that uh, it had to have integrity of text. Uh, that if you sing uh, "Lord Have Mercy Upon Us" to a calypso. Beat. I mean, those that doesn't really that doesn't work so well. So the <laughs> the music needs to fit the text. I think you just destroyed the the entire Earth Songs catalog. But, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, they do have some good stuff. They do. Yeah, they do. But they do have a variety. Let's how how can we say that? That's they right. have a variety. But I have used some of their stuff, and it's been quite uh, successful. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I think, but I think the text has to, uh, find a comfortable home in, in the music. Um, 
And uh, so, what do you say, Terry, to those people who come in and they say, uh, you know, church choir members that are unhappy with the variety that you've you've chosen? How do you deal with those type of conflicts? Uh, you know. Uh, I haven't I, I haven't had to deal with that very much. I think as long as you're doing a lot of difference. Well, I, I will tell you a story, uh, and I, I can't possibly name names uh, because they're very dear friends. But uh, uh, when I first got to Preston Hollow Presbyterian um, uh, in that first year, uh, I wanted to do the uh, Hosanna from the Lloyd Webber Requiem. Uh, and wanted to do that on Palm Sunday. And we had a man in the choir, and he was a dear friend. Uh, and uh, uh, But he, we were going to have drums with this piece. And he just, he thought that a trap set was uh, a travesty and, and should never be used in church for any purpose. That's the devil's instrument, Terry. What are you it, doing? Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> so, but, but he, uh, so he didn't sing that Sunday we did it. And about two weeks later, he and his wife were driving in the car, and he started singing the Hosanna. And so, so even though he wouldn't sing it for church, somehow it stuck with him. And uh, so I think uh, people, uh, most people, I think, will, uh, if you're doing a variety of stuff, if there's one, a piece once in a while that they don't care for so much, um, they'll give you a little slack on that. Uh, uh, as long as they see the light at the end of the tunnel, that that's not all you're going to be doing. Um, uh, so I think just variety kind of uh, smooths the path for us in a lot of ways. Hmm. Okay. That's that's super interesting. Did, did he come back to you and admit that he felt badly oh, about missing that that piece? Or oh no, no. Oh, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> No, but but again, he's a wonderful man, and and I respect him so much. Uh, but his wife filled me in on all the details. So, <laughs> was, man, yeah, those backstabbing was... wives! Oh man, <laughs> wow, watch out! Okay, well, okay, this is interesting because now you talk about variety. Now, let's let's if we really start cranking on the variety thing, we get to the infamous blended service. Do you have any experience with that? Do you know, uh, actually, I, I don't think I, I can say that I really have. And, and I'm, I, how can I say it without sounding judgmental? I, I think, uh, uh, as a Christian, I think that God can use any style of music to move people closer in their relationship with God. So uh, it's not that I don't think that the more contemporary sacred music is valid. It's just I have no experience in it. And the times that I have gone to services that have had a lot of the contemporary kind of praise music, it doesn't speak to me. Um, and so I've, uh, and I've been fortunate <clears throat> uh, at Preston Hollow, uh, we have three Sunday morning services and they're all traditional services. Uh, and that doesn't mean they're high church, but they're sure. They're liturgical, and um, we do, uh, uh, but we don't really do the the, the praise song music. Gotcha. Uh, 
And uh, and again, I, I, I'm I'm not saying that that it's a negative thing, but that's just who we are. <clears throat> the church has had the position that they know what has worked <clears throat> well for the church, and and that's that's who they are. And that, I think that's a healthy thing. Well, if you find that your church begins to do this is for Choir Nation, now, Choir Nation. If if you find that your church begins to do a blended service, what I notice about that because this has happened several times. Um, when I was a, a church choir director, that they are suffering from major branding issues at that point, right? They're trying to find mm-hmm. their their niche and they can't. So they're trying, you know. And this is this is that sort of if you try to please everyone, you please no one kind kind of <laughs> kind of thinking, right? Because you know it's like there's nothing weirder than the juxtaposition of a pipe organ and a a electric guitar, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I just happened to when I when I moved to Albuquerque to to be in a place where contemporary worship is like a big thing. And Albuquerque, we have a, a lot of people of faith, a lot of mega churches here. Um, I happen to go to a pretty large church that has more of a, it's a contemporary type service, you know, but it's more like almost an Appalachian folky kind of sound. And it's really good. And I have to say, uh-huh. I I was the biggest snob in the world, Um before I came to this church, but I finally saw a, a you know a group of people that were like, "This is what we do, and we're going to do it as best as we possibly can." Um, and it wasn't confused at all. It was like, "This uh-huh. is who this is exactly who we are, and we're going to just go with it one hundred and twenty percent." So um, I feel like, yeah, if you're going to be traditional, be traditional. If you're going to be contemporary, be contemporary. But holy Moses, don't try to do both at the same time because. You know, then you're going to start dealing with. You're not going to have people in your choir because people are going to start leaving your church because it's just weird and and people are confused by that. Um, I have seen some great, uh, great churches that do both, but they do them separately, and uh-huh. that's and they were they cater to one group of people on Sunday night with a mm-hmm. contemporary service and one group of people uh, on Sunday morning with a traditional service, and that's totally fine too. I think, but man. I know there's going to be a lot of choir nation shaking their head out there um, about having to deal with sort of that. Um, we're trying to appeal to younger generations, uh, so we need to do yeah. kind of half-assed, crappy, uh, uh, blended, you know, worship. <laughs> yeah, so. you know, and and, and you uh, with you saying that, I'll I'll throw this in as well. I think if you're going to do a contemporary music and worship. You have to do it really well because if you're competing with what they're hearing on the radio or on uh, on, on the internet, uh, it's it's better be pretty good or it's not going to come across very well. Oh yeah, we had we you know when I was and that, uh, means, that means a lot of dollars basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know when I was in um, uh, at a particular church uh, in my early twenties, we had Peg. Peg was the pastor's wife. Uh-huh. Peg came out with a Casio keyboard uh, halfway through the service. <laughs> you know, uh, median age of the congregation was was one hundred and six and a half, <laughs> and and Peg came out and if I could do the Casio keyboard sounds with my voice, I would, right? But she put the you know she put the bossa nova beat on, and you know, and we would we would sing. We would sing a pray a praise song, you know, and she's like, "Okay, everybody, clap their hands." You know, it looked like it looked like like a senior citizen chair aerobics gone wrong, you know. <laughs> and and I'm like, "This is not going to get 
your 20-somethings into this church. I'm sorry. It's just not. <laughs> and I think that outspoken opinion was one of the things that got me fired from that church. But um, I've been fired yeah. from three churches. So, oh, no. <laughs> so Terry, it's great to have you on here. So, Choir Nation, listen to nothing that I have to say about church. Um, but, no, I think they all do it wrong. Uh, but, Terry, you know, you seem to have, have had a really wonderful experience. So, can we talk a little bit about... Um, critical uh, components of, of rehearsal in order to make rehearsal successful, maybe starting with the beginning of, of rehearsal? How do, you, how do you wake those, those people up or get them out of their, get them out of their, their weekly routine and, and center them for something like a, a church choir rehearsal? Yeah, well, you know, you, uh, you have a, a, a podcast on Choir Ninja by John Yarrington. And uh, John was a mentor of mine, and I admire him so much. Um, he has a great sense of humor, so he always has a witty way to, uh, to say things. But, uh, you know, he was talking about how important warm-ups are. So the first thing I would do is, is encourage uh, anyone listening to these to, to find that uh, – the broadcast with John Yarrington and listen to him because those will apply to anybody, church choir, school choirs, community choruses. Um, he had some great things to say. Uh, well, that's episode and, 120 and 121, by the way. So okay. choir.ninja forward slash 120 and choir.ninja forward slash 121, Choir Nation, if you want to listen to John Yarrington. Yeah. Uh, he said a lot of good stuff. Uh, you know, I we've through my career we would normally I think almost every church I was at we would have a two hour rehearsal on Wednesday nights uh, with no break and uh, I just had to have everything planned out so carefully that we didn't waste any time because we we had a lot to accomplish um, and you know a couple of things I come to mind right offhand is that uh, I think it's important that directors don't talk too much. And that most of what we say is is helpful to the singers. Uh, they're not there to listen to me talk. They're there to sing. Um, and uh, one thing uh, one thing I learned a few years ago was that I needed to assume that somebody wasn't going to understand what I'm talking about. Um, if I use terms from a different language, uh, Italian. Uh, terms uh, that we all think are everybody knows uh, I also try to throw out the English equivalent at the same time I had a, an attorney about 10 years ago uh, one of the big how do I say but one of the big dog attorneys in in Dallas uh, made a really incredible income uh, brilliant guy had joined the choir but had not sung much before but he joined the choir and after about Three years, he came up to me at the end of rehearsal, and he looked kind of sheepish. And uh, so I finally, you know, said, "Hey, what's going on?" And he said, "Oh, I hate to ask you this, but what does forte mean?" And you know, I thought, uh, you know, I've been—he's been hearing that for three years, and I'd never <laughs> explained what forte meant. So I always try to assume that somebody isn't going to understand something. So I try to be real careful with the way I describe things. And, and if somebody, if I, if I'll say forte, you know, a big full sound, not loud, 
if you know if somebody already knows forte, then then that just reinforces what they do. So, and if they don't know it, it teaches. So, I try to I try to be inclusive when I do that. Uh, uh, and I think back. I hope I can get this right. Uh, Herbert von Karajan uh, had a great quote that there are only eight words a conductor needs for rehearsing, and those eight words are higher, lower, louder, softer, longer, shorter, faster, slower. And you know that really pretty much sums it up. And if if we spend ten minutes talking about uh, how we want a phrase done, uh, I'll bet we can do it more uh, in a more brief fashion uh, and uh, and get the point across and and get back to singing real quickly. So I always try to to move at a quick pace and try to keep the singers as engaged as possible. Um, uh, I want them to feel like they're coming into a community that has purpose and that it has beauty. And this is going to be the best two hours of their week, and and I really work work hard at that. Um, I think we have to challenge our singers to be excellent. You know, a lot of our singers never get any kind of encouragement at work. They work all day. They come in. They're tired. Some of them struggle with, well, do I want to go home and put my feet up or go to choir? So when they make the sacrifice of coming to choir, I want it to be something special and something. I want them to know they're part of something great. And I don't care if that was when I was directing a 12-voice choir or when I had my 220-voice choir at Preston Hollow. I want them to feel like it's something special. Uh, you know. And I'm, I'm not a cheerleader, uh, but I try to be an encourager. Sure. And I think our attitude um, determines how the rehearsal is going to go in a lot of cases. Um, but... You know, I think uh, warm-ups are important. We don't have, we didn't have a lot of time to spend on warm-ups, so I had, I didn't want to do the same warm-ups every week, and I think a lot of us kind of get in that pattern sometimes. So we shouldn't do the same vocal exercise every week just to get a quick warm-up and extend the range and sure. and and then hit the road. So you know, I think it's smart to plan exercises if we have a tricky rhythm that we're going to work on during the rehearsal. Uh, then come up with an exercise that incorporates that rhythm and, and do that in the warm-ups. Right, make it specific to the particular repertoire that you're doing that Absolutely, week. yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, that's a great piece of advice just in general for church choirs and for, for, for schools. You know, that variety that you're talking about, whether it's repertoire or variety in warm-ups, uh, I mean, I'm beginning to see that as a little bit of a theme, is you don't have to talk, you don't have to talk so much. Um, you don't have to... Um, you never you're never going to bore a group of adults if you keep it moving and you and you you know I guess maybe keep them guessing a little bit too as to what you're going oh, to do next. Yeah. I mean, that's and, what I'm pulling also, out of this. Yeah, and 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 planning the rehearsal including uh and this I think goes to any rehearsal. You know, when I did the Dallas Symphony Chorus uh interim for back a few years ago, uh, I would do this. And that is vary the rehearsal. Don't do all the hard stuff at one point. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't do all the fast stuff or the loud stuff together. But uh, uh, plan the rehearsal so that you're giving variety, so that you you get them energized at times, but you also give them a little time to recuperate or rest a little bit. And uh, uh, so, uh, like you said, keep them guessing. Right. Now, let me ask you, in a two-hour rehearsal, how many pieces 
will you touch? If you're if you're looking at if you're a church choir director, that's you know they have the week they have weeks you know regular weeks ahead of us. We have you know uh-huh. now I'm assuming we're talking Protestant denominations, so you're probably not talking about a whole lot of crazy responses and things like that that maybe we'd have yeah. in an Anglican church or something. But if you're looking at just you know weekly anthem, how many pieces uh-huh. are are in the folder at any given time? Well, uh, I would do. Uh, for a two-hour rehearsal, um, I would have. Um, uh, I try to do. I have. I try to have at least six weeks on every anthem, whether it was hard or or a no-brainer, one that they've done before and they know. And uh, I try to have six weeks on it. And um, the the first uh, the first couple of weeks. Uh, we just run it. We just try to get make sure we're getting all the notes. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in a quote, and I don't remember who said this, but it's really it's it it has touched me and helped me in planning my rehearsals. Uh, but the quote is something like, "When you're learning, learn; when you're practicing, practice; and when you're performing, perform." And we need some of each of those in every rehearsal. We need to be learning some stuff. We need to be learning some new pieces and learn some new notes and rhythms. We need to be practicing and really focusing on uh, developing the the nuance of, of the phrases and making the music come to life. And then finally, we need to be doing, we need to be performing just as though we're going to do it in church. So uh, the first couple of weeks, we'd be learning a piece then we would really spend more time on it and practicing and trying to do the little details. And then the last week or so, we'd perform it. And uh, we, I mean, we'd still chase some things and, and work on a few things. But at the last two weeks, I would always try to run every piece uh, all the way through without stopping. And, uh, uh, and that worked for us. So, uh, you know, different people do different things. But I think the idea of having some learning, some practicing, and some performing in every rehearsal, um, and I'm kind of getting away from what you ask. We we normally would do six to eight anthems every week. We would do whoa, responses. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, six to eight anthems per week? Uh, no, no, in rehearsal. Oh, oh, my God. Okay. In rehearsal. Okay. No, no, no heart attacks intended. <laughs> we do we, we do thirty six pieces every six weeks. Okay, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, I was yeah, so confused yeah. for a second. We no, I'm sorry, and I I apparently said that incorrectly. So <laughs> sorry. Yeah, we we normally would do one anthem per Sunday. Gotcha. Sometimes two anthems, but we would also have introit, uh, some choral responses. Uh, we would also rehearse the hymns and the descants. Uh, uh, because I think that's an important leadership role for the choir to lead the congregation in the hymns, uh, especially if it's an unfamiliar hymn. Absolutely, uh, the choir needs to be to be ready to take a leadership role. Uh, and then we would uh, we would spend the last forty five minutes or so of rehearsal working on our next major concert, uh, like Christmas music or spring concert or gotcha. you know whatever whatever concert so we would spend about an hour and 15 to 20 minutes on sunday's music uh, the 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 next six weeks of music and then we would work on a major work or something well wow, you are uh, cooking in rehearsal i mean that that's, we, we that's move fast yeah uh, and, and you know but people like that 
they I think they like to feel. In fact, I had a uh, one, a singer that was at my first church came and visited and sat in on a rehearsal about uh, fifteen years later. And she came up afterwards and she said, "Man." How do you how do you keep up with yourself? And but you know you you give the the choir the order ahead of time. I mean that's no big secret. We we had a rehearsal order that we had hand out, and people would get their music in order. And when we finish one one song or one anthem, then I look at the accompanist and 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 we're getting the pitch for the next piece. And and I try not to to kill a lot of time. Now that said. Uh, we don't just work, work, work the whole time, and I try to make it fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I went to seminary at SMU, it was a two-year program, and I zoomed through it in only five years. Um, so <laughs> I saw classes come and go. Calm down, but Speed it, Racer. That's right. But it was great. I, I was studying with Lloyd Fouch and Jane Marshall. And uh, one thing I, I learned from singing with Dr. Faust for five years was um, he felt humor was important to the rehearsal. And, um, you know, you know, when you're in the rehearsal, you can look at it and you can see when singers are starting to zone out and they're getting that glassy eyed look and, and they're fading on you. And um, so when he would see that or felt like things were lagging, he couldn't remember a joke for anything. And so he had some joke books, and every, every before every rehearsal, he'd jot a few jokes down and, and just leave them on his stand. And when he'd see people zoning out, he'd he'd read one of those jokes, and you know it would just pull everybody in. Sure. So we try to I try to keep things light. Uh, we move fast, but uh, 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 but we try to have fun the whole time as well. Um, so I I think that's great. I mean you you know you're the theme here, and I just really keep keep harping on this because I just really I really see it is that you are you know you are the the variety guy. I mean I I really think that that's you know like you're like you're saying you know you're keeping the the choir engaged for an hour and fifteen minutes with six pieces. Then you're moving on to like a major work or a cantata or whatever you're doing for your. <laughs> for your um, major holidays and things like that. I mean, that's, it's all about variety. And if you see things or if you're reading your, your choir, right. And you see, you know, they're starting to gloss over, you know, you probably know it's time to switch gears, whether that's, okay, yeah. I'm going to tell them a joke yeah. or I'm going to switch the piece and, and whatever you, you see the need for variety and then you, just, you know, switch it up. Yeah. Um, and, and another thing, Ryan, is that, uh, and this is, has a little bit of a financial implication, but I think it's just absolutely critical to have at least one brand new anthem in the folder at all times, something they've never sung before. And that means you've got to have budget to pay for that. Sure. Uh, so you have to be able to justify why you need more money for your budget. Uh, but that can be done. And uh, But I just think it's critical to have new music in the folder all the time. Uh, I know of a guy who's not at his church any longer, but he did he did 52 anthems, and then next year he would do the same 52 anthems, and then the next year he would do those same 52. He had that was it, and and I got a lot of members of his choir. After a couple of years, we started getting a lot of his uh, singers because uh, oh, they because they were bored. Uh, and, I uh, could I could imagine. Yeah. yeah, it's all things bright and beautiful week. Again, yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't need rehearsal, do we? You can only take so much backbeat on the on that drum set, you know, before uh yeah. God bless yeah. John Rutter. Well, yeah. another thing that I am really interested in understanding is is what level of of the bar are can you set for a church choir? You know, I I, I feel like if you, if you really push them, they might start to feel like you're beating them up or, or, or something. I mean, you know, or like we're going to do, we're going to rehearse this piece, you know, in, uh, you know, pulsing eighth notes or, or on, a, new, on a neutral syllable or count singing or something. And, you know, I think people's brains start to get a little scrambled, right? When you start being rehear- too rehearsal technique or, or whatever, like what is your experience with, with that? Well, you know, I'm going to go back to something I said early on, and I believe that people that are going to give their time to sing in a church choir want to be better, and I think they will respond to a lot of stuff um, as long as they feel like it's making them a better singer. That said, uh, I want to challenge any choir that I work with I want to challenge them. I want to push them. I want to make them better. I want to raise the bar. But I never want to do anything that they don't feel successful doing. If they feel like they can't do something, then it's going to take you know a lot of time to, to get back to where you were because sure. all of a sudden their confidence is gone. So uh, every rehearsal, I would say, um, when we talked about rehearsal planning and stuff. Every rehearsal, I always wanted to start with something that I felt we could be successful with. I wanted to start the rehearsal on a positive note and have them feel good about how they sound and what they're doing. So, uh, and then then we might go to a more challenging music after that. But I always wanted to start where they felt successful, and I think that goes with everything we do as a church choir. Uh, they need to feel successful. And, uh, and that's my job to challenge them, but make sure they feel successful. Um, okay. So let me, let me interrupt you for a second. How, okay. how do you deal then with sort of the, the, I need to c- cater to the lowest common denominator type of feeling that somebody might have as a director? Like, you know, Tommy, the tenor doesn't read music, you know, uh-huh. and, and for that reason, there are some techniques, rehearsal techniques that maybe, you know, I as a choir director feel as though I, I, I just can't do because Tommy is going to feel really terrible about himself if I say, um, all right, everyone, we're, you know, we're going to sing this on uh, pulsing eighth notes or something like that. I have, uh-huh. a, I have a why behind it, why it makes sense to do this rehearsal technique. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing that, that we're lagging. There's not a lot of forward motion in the line. We're going to pulse eighth notes. You know, and then you have you got Tommy the tenor scratching his head, looking at you like, "What's an eighth note?" And I'm sure we have a, a lot of <laughs> yeah. a lot of members of choirs um, that we've dealt with that you know they'll come to the director and they'll say, "I don't read music." You know, what do you do for that 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 person? And and you know, do you just not choose a technique because of that person, or do you work with them after or before rehearsal? Or how, how have you solved that problem in the past? Uh, I, I, I would say that uh, a couple of things come to mind. Um, if, if I know somebody is really struggling, first of all, I I don't cater the rehearsal to the weakest link because, uh, 
we can't move forward if we do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to bring that person along. And so I want to make sure I pace things or explain things well enough that they don't just totally feel lost in this situation. Um, um, I, if there's somebody that's struggling, I'm gonna, I would try to find somebody that I knew two things. They're a good singer or a good musician, and they're a good teacher or a, or a nice person. And I'll say, can you go sit with this other singer? And just, they're struggling, and I want to make sure they don't feel lost. For instance, um, we had a guy uh, join the choir, oh gosh, probably a dozen years ago, and he sang everything an octave below what he should. Uh, you know, and in some cases that would be really nice, but even in a big choir that stood out. And, uh, and so, uh, I would remind all the bases and, and here's another thing, right? I, I never will call an individual out or embarrass somebody in rehearsal. I, I just think in a church choir, I'm not going to do that mm-hmm. because I, um, in a, in a, another setting, a professional choir, uh, yeah, you, you do that. But, uh, especially if it's somebody that's insecure. Well, yeah, I mean, a pro can handle it, right? A yeah. pro can handle that. Yeah. Uh, begrudgingly, but yeah, they can. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, uh, I would try to say, you know, if you're unsure, if you're on the, on the right octave or, you know, or if you're not on the right, if you're not singing the same note as everybody around you, then sing softer and listen louder. Uh, and, uh, but I finally, I got a guy in the bass section who used to be a high school choir director. And I said, look, can you just sit with him and just, you know, try to help him. And, and if he's down an octave, just, you know, don't, don't push him, but just make sure he's aware that that's what's happening. And, and this guy took that on as his project and, uh, and he fixed the problem for me, uh, in a, in a very kind way. And they actually became good friends. So you empowered so, some of their leaders in your ensemble to, to step up. Yeah. To help out with that. Because especially, you know, when you have a, a larger choir, it's, it's just impossible to, to know what's going on with every singer. Uh, sometimes it's hard enough in a small choir. Um, so, uh, if there's, if there's somebody that I think can help out in that situation, I, I certainly encourage them to do so. And most people are happy to do it. So I want to know now how you deal with divas and divos in, in a, you know, a great church choir. Um, I, my father, uh, and I, I talked about this in my most famous episode, uh, which was entitled Your Choir Sucks Because You Suck. I remember that. I, I remember <laughs> <laughs> that made me the infamous person that I am in the choral world. Um, the lovers and the haters of the episode, both. Um, so, uh, one of the things I mentioned: my father was in a was in a choir. It wasn't a church choir, but it was probably the same caliber as like a really great big, you know, mainline church choir. And there was a gentleman in the bass section. Now, my dad is a Westminster Choir College, you know, student, uh-huh. former Westminster Choir College student and, and whatnot, and has plenty of experience. And I, apparently my father might have missed a, an E-flat that he maybe sang as an E-natural in a melisma at the end of the B minor mass or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, um, 
I'm not sure if there's an E flat in Dononobis Pachem, but well, I'm just making one up if there is. Uh-huh. Um, and this gentleman in the bass section turns around and says, "You know, that's an E flat, or or something like that." You know, and, and you know, and you keep missing it. You miss it every rehearsal. You know, and my dad was like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, I'm a I'm an adult. You're an adult. Like, cut that crap out. You know, you're not the director. He didn't say anything. He said something to the gentleman in private uh, afterwards, but. Um, you know, I, that kind of attitude kind of, you know, really, you know, makes me mad because it's, it's, uh, oh, that's absolutely. the kind of thing that's going to blow that, you know, that bass thing in the octave lower. I mean, if somebody would have approached him differently and negatively, that might've been the end of the road for that guy in your choir. Uh, that, absolutely. Uh, how it do you approach could. people like that? I mean, do you, have you had experience approaching sort of the divas and devos of the amateur choral world? Yeah, you know, if I ever had a sense that somebody was telling somebody else in the choir what they were doing wrong, I, I mean, I, I never, I never yelled at the choir, but I made it clear that that's my job, and and I don't want anybody in the choir correcting anybody else. If there's a problem, let me know, let me solve it. But but you know, you're gonna just muddy the water. And maybe I won't like it the way they're doing. You know, it, it's my job. I need to fix the problems musically. Uh, and so uh, if I knew that something was going on where somebody was correcting another singer, I just made it clear they can't do that. They, Is that the tone you would use? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I would say you cannot do that. What you can do is let me know about it and let me try to figure out how to solve it. Uh, but the personal relationships in the choir – are important. And if somebody feels like they're going to get attacked for missing a note, um, you know, that, that goes not only musically, that's not a help, but that's not a, a help to the choir as a family. And the choir needs to be a family, I think. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's go with that for a second. Do you have times uh, that you socialize with the choir? I mean, is that, is that something that you have, that you have planned into your, into your, yearly uh calendar yeah oh absolutely uh i think it's important we would we would have a choir party at the beginning of the year usually early september uh uh, and we would have uh, a christmas party and often we would have our christmas party in in january because decembers were so crazy oh yeah and so we would have a, a January Christmas party, and we'd say, "Wear your Christmas sweaters, you know, wear your uh, your hokiest Christmas stuff," and and we would have a big dinner and a party, and uh, uh, and then we'd do something at the end of the year. But anytime we would have an extra rehearsal, uh, we would uh, make time in the middle of rehearsal uh, and tell everybody to bring bring your favorite snacks and and uh, enough to share with several people and and we would have time in the middle where people could just stand around uh or sit and 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 have time to visit with other choir members and enjoy some snacks and uh especially when we would have rehearsal with the orchestra um uh, we became known among the Dallas Symphony musicians as the place to go if you're going to do a church job, because we had such a great spread, <laughs> and 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 even the orchestra members enjoyed being a part of that 
that time that, that you know we would call fellowship, uh, but just a time to be together and uh, enjoy that time. So it's important to build the community that way. Yeah, I mean, when uh, you when you know the names and and you know the people around you, uh, especially in a larger ensemble. I mean, uh-huh. the, the level of vulnerability goes way up, and the level of music making goes way up because because you're not you know you're not uh, sheltering yourself you know from embarrassment as much anymore. Uh-huh. You're gonna you're gonna try harder, right? Because you you feel like part of the team. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, and, and this is uh, maybe a slightly different direction, but I think it's equally important. Uh, the uh, uh, we have we have volunteer music librarians that that try to have all the folders ready for rehearsal every week and a sharpened pencil and, and with an eraser <laughs> since I change my mind sometimes. Uh, but we always I always wanted to have a few extra folders ready, whether I knew anybody was coming or not. And anytime we had a new singer come into rehearsal, I had that volunteer do a, a label maker, put their name on it, and and hand them their folder with their name on it because I wanted them to feel like they belong to the choir before they ever sang a note. I so, love this. I love this. Now, hang on. I'm, I, I want you to hold your thought because what I need to do real quick, since you brought up folders, I need oh. to mention... <laughs> I know where you're going. I need to mention mymusicfolders.com. And I, and I want to go back. So hold the thought because I, I feel like there's a great recruitment angle that we're going here too with that, with that label maker and that folder. Now, but I have to say, mymusicfolders.com uh, is a generous sponsor of the Choir Ninja podcast. Ladies and gentlemen of Choir Nation, they are one of the most major financial supporters of the podcast. Uh, and they are—they have a, a vested interest in the success of this show, uh, and they help me bring it to you each and every week because this takes a lot of time uh, to 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 do this to do this show and, and produce it, and it takes a lot of time between me and Stevie. And mymusicfolders.com is somebody that I'd love to see you all support. If you run a church choir, take a look at those folders. Take a look at your budget. See if you have if you need something this year. If you need folders this year, um, they are some of the most comfortable folders. They have a rounded spine. They have that awesome grip. They have the little string inside. If, you, if you're packing your folder with six pieces in a major work, chances are that folder is going to flop right open. You need to have that string in the middle. Um, they have even they have solutions with three rings. They have solutions with elastic and and whatnot and they even have solutions coming out uh for your electronic devices and and things as well uh people that may be moving into that 21st century uh, form of of music reading uh so mymusicfolders.com is doing something wonderful and offering uh the bulk pricing uh the highest uh level bulk pricing um to any member of choir nation uh, that that uses their service um, to purchase folders. So if you want the, the most significant discount, you just type in Ninja at checkout. Now, if you don't use a credit card online in order to buy your folders, you can certainly call them. Um, John and Robin are the owners, and you just tell them, hey, I've heard about you on the Choir Ninja podcast. Love to buy some folders, and they will give you that discount. So I think they're pretty awesome. 
and uh, you know, and I, I think you know maybe. Maybe they need to to sell a label maker too <laughs> with their folder. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just a great idea. That's a great idea. They will they will foil uh, stamp your names in the folder. So maybe after uh, you know a certain number of of months or years in the choir, you know, maybe one of your incentives for re- re- retention is to buy them a music a music folder from mymusicfolders.com. And with their, with their name, name on with it. their name foil stamped on it. I mean, <laughs> think about you know this is the Choir Ninja podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Think about the the karate method, the belt method, right? There's little incentives for you to continue to go. You want to get that black belt, and maybe that maybe that yellow belt for for church choir is getting a beautiful folder with with their name in it. Uh, on it, or maybe after five years, you upgrade them to the leather folder, the real leather folder, and they, you know, it's, it's personalized. And um, or you know, maybe you take your the folders back over the summer, you send them to my music folders, replace any ones that you need re- that need replacing, and they foil stamp, you know, the number of years or the or some some level of um, of of something achievement on on those folders for you or something like that there's so many cool ways to incentivize a church choir through the use of folders so um i mean just getting new ones is going to make them feel really cool especially at the beginning of the year um i know it's, it's not too late we're only in the beginning of october and if you showed up on christmas you know at the christmas eve service with a christmas gift of new folders for the choir they're going to feel pretty awesome because adults need a little a little love too so um, head over to mymusicfolders.com and give them a try. Uh, they're really great. Make sure you, you mention Choir, uh, Choir Ninja. And if you check out, use the promo code Ninja. So, Terry, let's get back to that, that whole thing about the, uh, the label maker. That sounds to me like a recruitment tool. Well, it, it is. I think people, um, I want them to feel like they're a part of the choir before they ever sing a note. So when they come in, we just we just put their name on the folder, and then and then I also have a choir buddy. Uh, we I had have a list of uh, people that I know will be friendly and helpful and welcoming. And then so when we have new people come in, we'd give them a, a folder with their name on it, and we'd have a choir buddy to sit with them and kind of show them the ropes and, and try to help them feel as comfortable as possible on that very first rehearsal. That's great. So that they're not in it alone. They're, they're, they are, That's right. They have they're, a friend from day one. They're part of the team. Great. And um, so I mean so, that, that's yeah. a really that's a retention that's like a I mean it's the right thing to do of course right but it's also it's a recruitment and retention um, item um, what am I what, what am I looking for yeah. you know yeah. as well it, maybe you don't mean it to be not necessarily but it really seems like that's a great a great way uh, to get people really invested really quickly and because yeah. you have to think about it again is, this is a little bit of a sales process um, it is and, and you mentioned something that I think was really a fantastic thing and we did this uh uh, we established uh, uh, gifts that the choir would give for every five years of service. Like when somebody's been in the choir five years, we would give them a hymnal with their name on it. 
but I think a folder would even be better with their name on it. So I, I think that would be a good change. And then at 10 years, they got a choir cross that they could wear with their robe. And it was amazing how many people said they stayed in the choir just so they could be sure and get their choir cross. But we had, we had specific gifts for every five years of service. And, and I think the longest we had was somebody that had been in the choir 45 years. And so uh, that's a gold watch, you know, Terry. I mean, at that yeah. point, that's a gold watch. <laughs> Well, we're on a choir budget, though, so it wasn't. But, uh, you know, but we'll get your uh, lawyer friend to chip in a little bit. <laughs> but you know, the uh, but people want to feel appreciated, and it's significant when somebody gives that many uh, years of service to the choir. Uh, you know, we want to recognize them and make them feel special for that. And uh, so, so that was something we we did as well. Uh, was well, just giving those five-year gifts. And we had a, a music ministry Sunday every October. And then the Wednesday before that, we would recognize everybody. We made a big deal, and we'd have refreshments after choir. But we would give those awards out uh, on that, that Wednesday night at the end of rehearsal. And it was a big deal to people. You know, this is really interesting. There, there is a, a, a Harvard Business Review article about why people— buy things um and what kind of incentive do they need to have uh and you know and of course the very top of the it's a big pyramid right and actually mike engelhart gave this to me he passed this on to me because mike engelhart if you don't know he's the the founder of uh beer choir and uh he's also uh you know great composer um awesome uh vocal (laughs) jazz acapella uh, singer as well, and uh, amongst other things. And uh, Mike, you know, we had been speaking, and you know, he was getting the beer choir thing launched, and you know, he he said, you know, this beer, my beer choir model meets these particular things on this pyramid, and he says, you know, you really ought to look at how your podcast, uh, you know, meets these these different things on the pyramid, and the very top of the pyramid, of course, is a, is a point, and only, there's only one one value at the very top, which is self-actualization, right? Which is this idea that, of course, you know, whatever, you know, you are transcending yourself and doing something that that, that helps a larger, you know, the greater, uh, the greater good, right? Whatever that means, right? Yeah. And, and then below that, you know, you have this sort of, just below that, you have um, uh, the feeling of just being special, right? The, um, mm-hmm. or feeling like you're part of something exclusive or, um you know, uh, solving a problem or, or, you know, you know, there's all these different bits of the, of the pyramid. And I really actually think that church choir, and I'm going to link to this article in the show notes. So choir.ninja forward slash one, three, five for this episode. Um, this, this article, and I'll send it to you too, Terry, you know, I think this pyramid meets so many, um, of the reasons why people are in church choir, like in their high level things, right? Cause the low level things is like solves a little, solves a, a, a household problem. Right. But mm-hmm. like the high level things are, are doing something that helps other people or doing something that makes you feel included. Right. And there's so many of those, those little, those points, there's probably 50 of them, you know, or whatever on this pyramid, but so many of them are right up at the, the very top when it comes to church choir. Um, so I think we need to look at what, you know, why why are your your members in the choir, um, and w- how can you make this this 
this outlet the best for them and meet those meet their little whys and meet their values as to why they're why they're there and and we can't we can't forget that whole I just want to feel included and I just want to feel you know special and loved and cared for and offering those types of incentives like the choir cross after 10 years mm-hmm. I mean that makes you feel like a I'm going to use the word like a badass. <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, you're well, there, you know, you know I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get mine. <laughs> I was, I was thrilled when I got my 10 year choir cross. Absolutely. You know, I mean, 49 95 never went so far. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, I think, I think there's a, you know, and, and Terry, you really can't comment, comment on this without seeing the article, but I mean, I, I'll definitely send it to you. I think it's a really interesting like discussion it. to have, but, yeah. uh, but, what we do as choral directors, whether it's as a, a church choir director or as a, a school choir director, has has such huge value and such a very high level um, that we need to look at those at those things in and figure out how we can make the our the, our members um, we can check those boxes you know those values boxes for our, our members because you're going to get you know you're going to have diehard fans of mm-hmm. the program and of you really uh if you're able to do that for them and open those yeah. open those possibilities up for them so yeah and and you know this and our and and the listeners know this but i don't think it can be overstated choral music has a way of touching people's hearts and giving them a gift that they can't get anywhere else and you know how important is that it's just it's a really special thing all the way around I totally agree, Terry. Is there, you know, I, we're getting we're getting up on we're above an hour at this point, which is okay, and I, I'm I'm happy with this. It's been a great conversation. It's been much needed. Yeah, but e- even even I will go to sleep listening to this though. So no, stop it. <laughs> well, Terry, I, I I want to to give you the opportunity to to say whatever it is that you'd like to leave Choir Nation with. If you have any parting words of wisdom or, or something we didn't quite touch on that you might have liked to touch on, or if you want to leave us with any resources um, that you would recommend, uh, we'd be happy to link to those things. Um, so oh. what, 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 do you, what do you have for us you know, to ra- help us wrap up the episode? Well, I think something that it took me a few years to, to get this concept, but once I did... Uh, and started running with it, it really made a difference in in how the choir succeeded. And that was the, the fact that if we want our volunteer church choirs or any choir to be the best they can be, then we have to dream big and we have to plan way ahead. So there's always something exciting coming up for the choir. And that could be, you know, a special anthem with instruments or a concert or a chance to sing with orchestra, or bring in a guest conductor for a workshop or a concert, uh, or, or commission a new piece of music if you can, uh, and then and then bring the composer in if you can to conduct it. But I think we have to have a dream in front of us all the time, and uh, you know maybe it's maybe you need a new piano for your rehearsal room or whatever whatever it is that's going to improve the choir. Uh, then we, we, we not only have to dream it, but then we have to involve other people with it and know who to talk to, to, to help make it happen and, you know, figure out what you need to do to make something happen and then let other people help you with it. And the more we let others take ownership of the choir, the greater our chances of success will be. Um, 
I hope that makes some sense. But I, I just think we have to have something in front of us, a goal, something that we've dreamed up that's going to really inspire the choir in some way um, and and have that have that in front of us all the time. Well, I couldn't agree more. Uh, thank you, Terry. And you want to leave us with um, a way that uh, Choir Nation could get in touch with you if they have any further questions? Oh, sure. Uh, my email is is simply Terry Price at usa.com. Well, that's easy. All right, Terry. So T E R R Y Price. P R I C E at, at USA.com. USA.com. Wonderful. And and I'm sure are you on Facebook? I am, and I look at it every month or two, whether I need to or not. Okay. Okay. So we're <laughs> so we're gonna go I, straight for the email then I most think likely. That's the safest thing, yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Terry, for being a part of this podcast. And I, you know, this is like I said, a much needed topic. Um, and I know Choir Nation uh, is going to be happy to, to hear what you have to say today. And you know, Choir Nation, if you're out there and you're thinking I'd like a little bit more focus uh, on church every once in a while, um, or just you know stuff outside of the regular public school, private school world, let me know. Um, you can find me on Facebook in the Choir Nation Facebook group. Uh, that is uh, one of the uh, most awesome, positive, uh, collegial Facebook groups. Uh, and I, I think that that's going to be uh, a great resource for anybody who doesn't know about it already. Uh, so let me know if, if you, you know, if, give me some feedback on today's, rehe- on, uh, today's rehearsal. Look at me. On today's uh, episode. And uh, obviously, if you like this um, this episode, leave us a review on iTunes uh, or any podcast app that you use uh, to get to get this this, this show. Um, leave an honest review and let me know how I'm doing. And uh, it helps us uh, get more exposure. Uh, the more activity we have in the review section, uh, the more the more exposure we get on those different networks. So, um, yeah, that's 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 it for today. Uh, I want to say thank you to SightReadingFactory.com, which is another sponsor of this show. Uh, if you don't know what SightReadingFactory.com is, uh, you make sure you figure it out because it's the coolest technological tool that you will use uh, with your choir. Uh, Terry, do you know what SightReadingFactory.com is? I have looked at the at the website and uh, it looks terrific. And it's really inexpensive. Choir Nation, it's like. At the time of uh, this broadcast, it's like $35 for a year subscription. It will generate any sight singing example uh, that you choose based on whatever specifications that you choose. Uh, So if you're looking for a particular voicing, difficulty level, key, meter, you just put those things in the tool and it will generate a sight singing example. If you want it to add solfege, it'll add solfege. You want law-based minor, it'll do it law-based minor. Uh, you want to do do-based minor, that's fine. You want to do fixed out, no problem. It will do all those things. So if you want to sign up for sightreadingfactory.com, use the promo code NINJA, and you'll get 10 free student accounts that you can share with, with members of your choir. If you'd like to buy student accounts for your entire choir, uh, you can do that as well. Just make sure you type in the promo code NINJA when you check out. Um, one of the ways that we use those, those uh, student accounts is we give them to our Allstate members, kids who are auditioning for Allstate and have them practice their sight reading at home. That's a great way to use those 10 free accounts. So again, sightreadingfactory.com, promo code NINJA. Terry, thank you so much for being uh, my guest today on, on Choir Ninja.
Thank you, Ryan. It's my pleasure. Enjoyed it being with you. Well, thank you, Terry, and uh, you have a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Quiet Ninja Show. Bung, bung.